scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 9. I invite you to open your Bibles with me there. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll say about this passage, kind of before we read it, uh, is that uh, this is written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi, to the Philippian people. Uh, and as he's writing this letter, Paul is sitting in prison. He's been beaten. Uh, he's uh, been assaulted. And he is in prison. And he's writing this letter, and, and these words in particular, to the church in Philippi. And, and I think it's important to recognize the context of this. Uh, because, one, it means that uh, what he's written is for us, even when life isn't good, even when times are difficult, even when times are hard. I think sometimes we think that whenever we begin to follow Jesus, or some people think that whenever we follow Jesus, that it's like we've got the easy button, right? That, that all of our situations, all of our problems just go away, that, that life becomes easy. If I'm following Jesus and, and a challenge arises, I can just hit that easy button and everything becomes better. I mean, we, we talk about following Jesus means that we have life to the full, that we have a fulfilled life. A lot of times we talk about the good things that happen to us in life as being God's blessings. Uh, and, and so uh, we have this blessed life or this full life, and, and so, sometimes we think that means we don't have to deal with bad stuff. And then when the bad things happen, because bad things do happen, uh, it rains on the just and the unjust alike, it can be discouraging. We can sometimes wonder and question, you know, God, why, why me? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this difficulty? Why am I facing this challenge? We can lose hope because it's like, well, if I'm following Jesus, why am I, why am I continuing to have these, these difficult or these bad things that are happening? And so I think that Paul, writing this from prison, offers us a different perspective, a perspective that we can have uh, not only in the good times, but in the hard times as well. And so let us read together now from Philippians chapter 4, beginning here in verse 4. Paul writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, Whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is true, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. So Paul kind of writes this letter with a lot of uh, imperatives. He gives us a lot of things to do, like commands that he's offering. And, and the first one is, is one of those that's kind of key. Uh, verse 4, what does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Or uh, rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Rejoice in the Lord when you get a new house or a promotion or a good test result. Rejoice in the Lord when the miracle happens. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. No, right? I mean, that's not what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, always. And just to make sure, just to make sure that we understood, he says, let me say that you one more time. 
rejoice. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. This instruction, this command is to rejoice in the Lord at all times. There's no situation that we face or experience in with, within life in which we should not rejoice. How do we do this? How, how do I rejoice always? An important part of this command is that what we're rejoicing in is the Lord. Right? Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstance. He doesn't say rejoice because good things are happening or rejoice because bad things are happening. He basically says that the situation itself doesn't dictate our rejoicing because the source of our joy is not found in the circumstance. It's not found in the things that are going on around us. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. He is the source of our joy, of our hope, and of our peace, and so we are rejoicing in him. Rejoicing in the Lord means to know that God is with us. We can rejoice because we know that he is near. Rejoicing in the Lord means that we can rejoice because we know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even if we can't see it in the moment, we know that God is working. Rejoicing in the Lord means that we can rejoice as we remember the things that God has already done for us, the things that he's already accomplished on our behalf. Rejoicing in the Lord means that we can celebrate, that we can give thanks, that we can rejoice because he has already secured our salvation through Jesus. That no matter what else is going on around us, we know that our souls can be secure, that we have a blessed assurance because of what Christ has done for us. I know Pastor Shane mentioned this uh, last week, he said he was talking to the youth about uh, this passage where Jesus sends out the 70 disciples and they go out uh, in his name to perform miracles and cast out demons. And they come back and they had a great time and they're celebrating of all the great things that has gone on. They're celebrating, you know what, hey, even, even the spirits listen to us and, and follow because we said it in your name. And Jesus says, yeah, that's great. You know, I gave you my power. But do not rejoice because they listen to you. Do not rejoice because you've done these works. Rather, rejoice that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, even in the good things, even in the great things, our rejoicing is found in the Lord. And so much more, even when we're facing the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships that life brings our way, our rejoicing is in the Lord, right? We rejoice because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, that through his death, he has offered us life. We rejoice knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Uh, and we rejoice knowing that whatever we endure on this earth, the good or the bad, that it pales in comparison to the glory that awaits, the joy that awaits in the fullness of his kingdom. And when we're rejoicing in the Lord, it, the rest of what Paul lays out for us in this passage becomes a little bit easier to follow. We, we uh, receive these promises that Paul says are ours when we take the time to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, he follows up this uh, command to rejoice in the Lord always by saying, um, be gentle with others because the Lord is near. I, I imagine whenever our hearts are filled with rejoicing and with gratitude, it's probably a little bit easier to be gentle with others. When I'm focusing on what God has done for me, I can probably be a little bit more gentle with others. Whenever I'm 
focusing on all the difficulties, when I'm, my attention is taken place, uh, is filled with all of the problems, all the ch- trials, all the challenges, the different things that frustrate me, the two people who skipped in front of me in line at the grocery store, right? I'm, I'm less likely to be gentle uh, when I'm focusing on those things. But whenever I'm focusing on what God has done for me, whenever I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I can, I can be gentle with others knowing that he's near. And after he tells us to be gentle with others, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it, Paul says. If he was from Jersey, he'd say, you know, don't worry about it, right? Like, I mean, it, it, maybe he said, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know that he inspired Bob Marley or not, but Paul is telling us, don't worry. And it's not just about not worrying. He's saying, don't worry because you're going to get the outcome that you want. Again, don't worry because we know how the story ultimately ends. Don't worry not because we know that things are going to work out the way that we hope they will, but don't worry because we know that ultimately God wins. We know there's something much bigger that's taking place than what's happening in the moment. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray. Present your petitions to God and do so with thanksgiving. I mean, if it's not enough for Paul to tell people to rejoice, Paul is saying that when you feel worried, instead of focusing on your worries, instead of focusing on the anxiety or the stresses or the challenges, said pray and give it over to God with thanksgiving. Give thanks for what God has already done. Remember how God has acted in the past so you can trust him with your present and with your future. Give thanks because you know that when you call upon God, that he hears you. He just told us that the Lord is near. If he's near, that means that he hears us. It means that he's not too busy. He hasn't gone to sleep. He doesn't have too many other things that are going on. Whenever you call upon him, he hears you and he is close because he loves you deeply and dearly. God isn't too busy for you. But when you talk to God, you can give thanks knowing that that you're not alone, knowing that God is with you. Give thanks knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord, right? Just like we sang about, right? Uh, We can give thanks knowing that the battle belongs to him, that it's in his hands. There's this great story uh, in the Old Testament takes place. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, You can go and read it. That's that's your homework for the week. Uh, It's a story about a king by the name of Jehoshaphat, which... I just love that name, Jehoshaphat. It's like one of those fun things to say. If I was to have another kid, and maybe this is the birth control that we need, I'm going to like, I'm going to vote for Jehoshaphat, right? Like, she's not shaking her head no. So, um, so, so at the time that Jehoshaphat was king, uh, there were all these nations that were gathered around Israel uh, that wanted to attack them, and they decided to band together. I think it's like the Midianites, the Moabites, uh, all these other ites that are around that area. They all band together, and they want to attack Israel. It'd be like, you know, Hezbollah and Hamas and the Houthis all saying, hey, now's the time. We're going to try to take advantage of it. Well, at that point in time, when uh, Jehoshaphat was king, Israel didn't really have a strong army. They didn't have a strong defense, not enough to withstand and hold up against all of these neighboring nations that were partnering together against them. So King Jehoshaphat gathers all the people. They begin to fast and they begin to pray. Uh, they begin to seek the Lord. And, and if you read through their prayer, there's this, this prayer that gives thanks because they, they know ultimately who God is and what God has done for them. And so there's a prayer of thanksgiving. There's also this prayer where they're presenting their petitions 
to God and saying, God, you see these neighboring nations that are at war among us, and you know that we are weak, that we cannot overtake them, overcome them on our own. Uh, and so they pray and they say, Lord, we know that this is, this is not something that we can handle on our own. And so as they're praying, God answers them and, and basically says, don't worry, I've got this. The battle is not yours, but it belongs to me. Go out and face them and the Lord will be with you. And so after they hear from the Lord, they gather everybody together the next morning and they're getting ready to go out to battle. But King Jehoshaphat does something a little bit differently. He, he takes the worship team and those who can sing and he puts them out in front. Right? Instead of putting you know, his strongest warriors, you know, the, the, the people who are best with the sword or the arrow, whatever it might be, he puts, he puts the worship team out front. Uh, and maybe he's saying, you know, we'll, we'll let everybody get tired fighting with them. But, uh, but he tells them, your job is to sing. And, and we're going to sing as we march out into battle. And so they begin to sing and they begin to praise. They begin to give thanks for what God has done. And as they're singing and as they're praising, God makes confusion come upon all of the other armies. And they begin to fight amongst themselves. And when Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel arrive, all of the armies had already been defeated. They didn't have to lift a sword. They didn't have to do a thing. God had already accomplished the work. The enemy had already been defeated for them. And all they had to do was praise. All they had to do was give God thanks. I mean, as they're going out, they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And when the battle was over, they returned back to Jerusalem and they're singing and they're giving God thanks and praise. And they're saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that you have won this battle for us, that you fought it for us, that you've taken care of us, that you've heard our cry, that you are with us. I think it's a great lesson for us in this story. Right? I mean, even when life feels overwhelming, even when we feel frustrated and discouraged, even when we're confused or when the future seems uncertain, it feels as though the enemy has you surrounded and is closing in on every side. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Trust that God cares for you, that the battle belongs to the Lord, and then listen for his voice. Listen for the direction that he gives. It might be something as crazy as putting the, the, the worship team out front as you go into battle. It, it might seem uh, crazy to the world around you, but as you're praying, as you're giving God thanks, as you're listening for his voice, he will give you the direction that you need. And then the peace of God which transcends all understanding, the peace of God, which doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People might wonder, well, how, how are you so peaceful right now? How, how, how do you have a peace that passes understanding at a time like this? You can say, because I know that ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord, because I know ultimately that, that he wins, and so I don't have to worry I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be filled with anxiety and stress because I know that it's in his hands. And I know there's times when it feels like we might be fighting a losing battle. There are times when it feels as though we don't have anything to rejoice about. There are times when we pray and we don't feel like we're getting the answer that we want. Maybe it doesn't look like God is fighting for us, and so maybe it's hard to rejoice or give thanks. That's why we remember that our rejoicing our giving thanks aren't based on the situation. It's not based on the outcome of the trial or the tribulation that we're facing. Instead, we're rejoicing and giving thanks because we know that the battle has already been won. The ultimate battle has already been won. When we can't think of anything else, 
that we can give thanks for. Whenever we're just stuck so down deep that we're not sure of how I can rejoice in the Lord, we can stop and we can give thanks for the victory that has already been won on the cross. If you're struggling, if you're trying to figure it out, give thanks for the love that God has shown you. That while you were an enemy of God, that Christ died for you. Give thanks that Jesus offered himself up for you, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame and the disgrace of the cross. Give thanks that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that's made us whole. Give thanks that even though uh, we like sheep have gone astray, that the Lord has placed the iniquity of all of us upon him. Give thanks that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Give thanks that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have life everlasting. Give thanks that when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb, that he didn't stay dead, but on the third day he arose victorious over death, over hell, and the grave. Give thanks knowing that death has been swallowed up in victory. And that though these mortal bodies will one day break down, these perishable bodies will one day return to the ground, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That there is resurrection through Jesus. There's a home that's not made with human hands, but is eternal in the heavens. There is life everlasting. And we can say with a great confidence, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks because Jesus tells us, though in this world you will have trouble, take heart because I have overcome the world. Give thanks that because if Jesus is living as you, if Jesus is living in you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Give thanks for what God has already done for you. That's where our thanksgiving begins. That's how we can do what Paul says in the rest of the passage, to think about the things that are good and pure and holy and what is true by remembering first what Christ has done for us when he laid down his life on our behalf. Now there's, there's joy that comes when we offer God thanks. There's peace that comes when we offer God thanks. There is hope that comes when we offer God thanks. And I don't, I don't think this is a scripture passage per se that tells us this, I don't, uh, but I think it's something that's echoed throughout scripture. That a joy-filled life, a peace-filled life, a hope-filled life begin when we give God thanks. It begins when we remember what God has done for us in Christ and then the, the rest of the thanksgiving and the celebration flows as we remember all of the ways that God has acted on our behalf. And so I invite you, though it might not become one of, though it might not be like a, a, a practice that we engage in regularly, to take, to take every opportunity you have to give thanks. When you go to bed at night, as you say your prayers, to thank God for what he's done for you. And with a prayer of thanksgiving, thank you God for this day. For I know that it's a day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad and I'm going to be thankful because I know that my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life because of what Jesus has done for me. And let the thing givings flow from there to remind us that we do have something to be thankful for and we have a lot of things to be thankful for and we can begin by giving thanks for what god has done for us in christ now i'm so thankful that we have uh, a, a day set aside one day a week where we pause from everything else that's going on in the world and we gather together as a family to thank god for what he's done for us 
that we gather together every Sunday. We gather together in worship to give thanks. We gather in Sunday school or in small groups to give thanks. Uh, that we gather with others so we can be reminded of and give thanks to this God who has done so much for us, who's loved us and made it known for us in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite you, if you will, to join me in a prayer of thanksgiving this morning. To say thank you, God, uh, for your goodness and for your grace, for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for the ways in which you have loved us. Thank you for Jesus, who died for our sake, who rose so that we might have life everlasting. Thank you that we can be forgiven. Thank you that we can be set free. Thank you that there is a new life that is possible because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. We thank you that there is hope in every situation. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you continue to strengthen us and renew us as we gather together. We thank you for our family, our friends. We thank you for our church family, uh, for these people who gather around us each week uh, that we can connect with, that we can grow with, that we can find encouragement and accountability with. We thank you that you've placed them in our lives, and I pray that we might continue to grow in our connections with one another. And Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you, thank you, thank you that we are a part of your forever family. We thank you that you've adopted us as your children, that you call us as your own. And I pray that we might live as such in the days and the weeks and the months and the years that lie ahead. Uh, Lord, help us to be filled with your joy and your peace and your hope as we live a life that's filled with thanksgiving and praise. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.